0: Love means telling the truth. It means telling the truth in love and glorifying God and bringing Him and His gospel to light for the blind.
1: Welcome to Former Adventist Podcast. Grab a cup of coffee and join Colleen Tinker and Nikki Stevenson as they discuss their life after Adventism. Welcome to Former Adventist Podcast. I'm Colleen Tinker. And I'm Nikki Stevenson. This section of Galatians we're looking at today, which is Galatians 6, 6-10, to really convicted me. Paul manages to expose all the weaknesses that the Lord knows lurks in the hearts of his children. I was convicted while studying of the fact that sometimes I still react to people in the body of Christ in a more or less Legalistic way instead of in the way of the spirit. I realized sometimes I actually sow to the flesh by trying not to face the normal feelings life brings up. I get disciplined in trying to be good instead of trusting the spirit and allowing my heart to feel engaged even in painful circumstances. But I can't truly love the members of the body if I'm just trying to be good. I have to internally trust and yield to the Spirit as I interact. Before we dive into this passage, though, I want to tell you again how much we love hearing from you. Your emails are encouraging, and it is such a blessing for both of us to hear that this podcast is helping others understand and reprogram their Adventist brains. Adventist brain is something we all have in common, even if we didn't grow up in the same generation or geographic location we're all shaped by our common false prophet, and we all have Adventist brain even when we don't know it. Thank you to those of you who have let us know that this podcast is being helpful. Nikki and I love knowing that God is redeeming our Adventism by allowing His Word to show us what's true about our lives and about who we are. If you haven't signed up for our weekly proclamation email magazine, go to proclamation.com where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter and also find links to our YouTube channel and online magazines and articles. And don't forget, if you want to email us, our address is formeradventist at gmail.com. And now Nikki, here's my question for you. Okay. When you were an Adventist, what did you think it meant To not become weary in doing good because in due time you would reap a harvest.
0: (laughs) Well, first of all, I don't remember actually reading this passage as an Adventist, but I did have that kind of perspective, the worldview, as interpreted through Adventism. So I have to clear that up. Mm -hmm. I believed that we did good in keeping the Ten Commandments and in keeping the Sabbath especially. Oh, yeah. In doing so, I would, oh, I don't think I would have used the word earned, Mm
1: -hmm. but
0: I would have done my part. (laughs) Oh yes, (laughs) I would have put it that way. Mm -hmm. I would have done my part in proving my loyalty and my love to God. And therefore, I also wouldn't have said been worthy, but the idea would have been that I'd be worthy to
1: be received by him. Oh, that sounds familiar. I had the same worldview as that. (laughs) And I can't remember either thinking what it meant exactly, that I should not become weary in doing good. And I do remember hearing that phrase, don't become weary in doing good, because in due time you will reap a reward. And for me, that was a very real cause and effect. If I wanted the rewards of eternal life, and I did think of eternal life as a reward, same, then I had to not be weary in doing good here even though I would have said, I can't earn my salvation. What was that doing good? (laughs) Well, it might mean doing the dishes if my mother asked me, or as I got older, it might mean not being embarrassed to talk about the Sabbath to a non-Adventist neighbor, or asking them to church, or taking them a loaf of bread, or checking in and seeing if they needed help, or... Just basically helping out if people had need. I really did think that I had to be kind of on call to do good. People pleaser. People pleaser. That's it, Nikki. <laughs> it was a people pleaser thing. So other people's expressed need would be my command. Did you have the spiritual gift of
0: interpreting their unexpressed <laughs> needs? Because I did. <laughs> tell me about that. <laughs> oh, you know, just the unspoken family rules. And I don't just mean the family under the roof that you dwell in, but the Adventist community. I disappointed my Adventist, my corporate Adventist community. I didn't go to academy for all the years. I wasn't a student missionary. I That do-gooding stuff that was expected <laughs> of the younger generations, I, I didn't participate in. I did get to do <laughs> boarding school for a little while, but I ended up getting kicked out there. So well, well, that how is that doing good? I did not do good until I was an adult and then I learned to love the Sabbath. And I made up for a lot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, it is interesting, isn't it, thinking back that loving the Sabbath sort of covered a lot of ground. Yeah. It did. Yeah, if you love the Sabbath There's a doing good about that. And you know, another part of the doing good, which I have lived to regret, remembering myself as a teacher especially at Gem State Academy, where I taught for five years, taught English for five years. And I do remember that I was most earnest in encouraging those teenagers that I taught to just remain faithful to Adventism and to Mm -hmm. try to explain it and to frame it in a way that they could get around it. Now, I taught English. I didn't teach religion. But you know, at a boarding school, you have kids in your home, you see them on tours. I saw a lot of those kids outside of the classroom. And I know that I was always committed to upholding Adventism and the Sabbath and God. I've lived to ask God to forgive me and to redeem that in their lives because I realized I was upholding a cult and yet I really believed it was right. Mm -hmm. So my do-gooding was all shaped by the religious expectations that I had absorbed. Mm -hmm. It's kind of funny. Now that I'm thinking back to that whole Jump State experience, I suppose this isn't exactly a form of doing good, but it did represent the overall feeling of how one was supposed to observe Sabbath. And I remember one time we'd had a student come over to do some studying, and I it was in the middle of the week, and I was making popcorn for this kid. And the neighbor, who was the wife of the business manager, she would frequently come over to my door to borrow, you know, sugar or butter, kind of in that old-fashioned Adventist neighbor way. Isn't that funny? You ate those things? Well, you know, it was margarine. But um, she came over this one evening to borrow whatever it was, and she came to the door, and she kind of put her nose in the air and went sniff, sniff, and said, I smell popcorn. I never eat that except on Saturday nights. (laughs) I remember thinking, oh, oops,
0: but why not? <laughs> That's funny, though, because that is kind of an unspoken rule of Advent. It is. The sun it goes, goes down,
1: you start popping that popcorn. <laughs> and if you're lucky, you have fruit salad. Yep. <laughs> so anyway, doing good and not being weary was an ongoing thing. And for me, it basically meant I had to be good and I had to meet everybody's needs that presented itself to me.
0: I think the most horrifying thing about that is that we believed that
1: in doing good, we would reap salvation. That's what I thought. Yes. The the reward to me was salvation. So how do we know now that that's not true? All the rest of scripture. <laughs> <laughs> because what is salvation? Salvation comes from Christ alone. As a gift. Mm-hmm. It is not a reward. It was a very big deal for me many years later when I finally realized that salvation is never a reward. Yeah. It's a gift, a free gift. What happens as we learn in scripture and we'll talk about today after one is born again that there are rewards for what we do in the flesh, but that's not salvation. Mm-mm. It makes a big difference. <laughs> So, Nikki, would you read for us our passage, Galatians 6, 6 6-10?
0: Okay, I'm reading again from the NASB, 1995. The one who is taught the Word is to share all good things with the one who teaches them. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are in the household of the faith.
1: Okay. Yes, this would have been a very big trigger passage for me, especially right after coming out of Adventism. And even as it is, I had to think my way through some of these phrases. Because for me, verse 7 Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. That was a memory verse somewhere in my distant past. And it was a memory verse that we learned in Sabbath school, probably kindergarten, very young. And it really was all about, do those good deeds, do everything you're told, do your missionary volunteer best, and you will reap eternal life if you keep doing those good deeds. So, this is a Trigger passage, perhaps for more than just me.
0: That's interesting. You know, I love that verse. I've loved that verse since being born again because to me it speaks directly against false teaching. God isn't mocked. You're gonna get it. <laughs> <laughs> for me, the big struggle was verse eight. I had a hard time with it. I was texting you. We yes. even had to talk a bit before we got on here. Yeah, read the eight. Okay. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. No problem with that. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And I was like, wait a minute. We don't reap eternal life. Eternal life isn't a a reward. It isn't something we go after and get. It's a gift. And right. so I really had to wrestle with the, with the grammar, with the words, with the context of what Paul's talking about in Galatians. And And I did not question scripture, and I thank God that after being out of Adventism this long, I know the issue isn't with the Word, it's with how I'm understanding
1: it. So you worked with me,
0: and we pressed into that, and (laughs) I feel a lot better about it.
1: (laughs) Oh, good. Well, let's share some of the things we've learned, because seven for me, eight for you, trigger passages for both of us, related in meaning. Yeah, And it's so interesting how deeply the roots of that false understanding go. Okay, let's start with what we thought about and what we read and learned about verse 6, which says, The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. So, Nikki, we talked quite a bit about this before Mm -hmm. we came in here to record, and I want to just preface our comments by saying this text is in a context Paul has just spent the first part of the verse talking about bearing one another's burdens, about being in the body of Christ, about helping and supporting those who are fellow brothers and sisters in the body of Christ and fulfilling the law of Christ in so doing. So, would you talk a little bit about verse 6 and how you understand that now?
0: Okay, well, first I have to say how much it confused me because it seemed to just be plopped in the middle of everything. I thought it meant you have to pay your pastor. And I'm not saying that that's excluded from what's being said here at all. right? But I thought maybe that was a central passage for that idea. And it seemed so out of nowhere in the middle of bearing one another's burdens and then moving straight into, you know, not being deceived by these false teachings. So it, it was kind of fun. I was looking forward to reading through this passage for this podcast, because I knew that this would get fleshed out a bit. One of the commentators I read said, some people think this verse means you should pay the preacher. I don't think that's what it means at all. Why would he drop that obtuse thought in the middle of this context? What he's saying is the one who bears the burden, because remember he was talking about that last week, we talked about that. The one who bears the burden and holds this guy up or this lady up is obviously teaching the word to that person. That's part of it. And they mutually share koinoneo in all good things. That's the word behind the Greek sharing that's interesting. all the noble, moral, spiritual excellencies that he's learning. The implication here is simply this. You're involved in a building process. You pick them up by confronting sin, calling for a confession, repentance, prayer, back to the word. You hold them up by an accountability relationship in which you get under the burden and help them carry the burden. And you build them up by sharing back and forth all the good, excellent moral truths that flow out of the process of teaching. Now, I wouldn't say that this commentary is, you know, really extensive, but the the idea behind it being related to the relationship that's been established now as these two brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ are bearing one another's burdens and they share all good things back and forth. That's a big call to ask a Christian to come alongside another believer and bear their burdens. And now it's almost as if he's saying to the one who's being helped, you are being taught the word. You need to share all good things with this person. Be open. Be in true fellowship
1: with one another. So that you're speaking truthfully, that you're sharing your life, that you're being honest, and you're listening to them and supporting them through things.
0: And then there were some other commentators who said that in the Greek, this sharing good things, it's talking about coming together in shared commitment and the sharing of belongings. Yeah. Yeah. Almost like in a covenant between a husband
1: and a wife, all things are together theirs. You know, that's a really interesting thought when you think about the gifts of the Spirit that God gives us when we come to Him. And we also know that Paul tells us in Titus, for example, that the older women are to teach the younger women, the older men are to teach the younger men that some people are given the gift of teaching, some people are given the gift of hospitality. All things are for the building up of the body. So when we have somebody in the body of Christ who is mentoring us, who is teaching us, who is pastoring us, then our response as a member of the body is we are equal members in the body. And one of the things that seems to happen in Christendom, starting from the first organized church you know, very early on, which had a very strongly developed hierarchy uh, that went down from a pope through bishops and so forth into priests and then into the laity, that pattern has persisted in some form in a lot of denominations so that there is a hierarchy. I mean, I, I have heard of Christian churches where the members call the pastor their pastor and his wife their first lady. But the fact is that we are all equal in Christ as members of the body. He is our head. The head is the one that gives the instructions to the body, what to do, how to do it, and keeps the body together and safe and functioning as a whole. So... The pastors in the body of Christ are equal members with the little toes, if you want to say that. Mm -hmm. All the members are equal. So, our responsibility before God is to love and nurture and care for one another, including those who teach us the Word. I think it's interesting. Paul talks about the first thought that we had when we read this verse, Nikki, about paying. Mm -hmm. He talks about this idea to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9. 11 to 14. And it's interesting because we learn a couple of things from Paul. We learn his own response to the idea of taking money for preaching the word. And we also learn his general response to what a pastor can expect from those he teaches in terms of money. This is what he says. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Now, when he says, if others share this rightful claim on you, he is talking about the people that have already come to the Corinthians who have claimed to be apostles of greater import than he himself was. And he has spent his uh, first part of this letter defending his apostleship to them, reminding them he brought them the gospel. So, he's comparing their response to the people that might even have been called false teachers or at least usurpers and saying, remember, you owe me at least what you've given them because I brought you the gospel. And he goes on, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right but we endure everything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So, Paul is not saying pastors should not be able to be supported in their Preaching of the word. That is one of the ways we bear the burdens of the body. But that is not the only way we bear the burdens of the body. And I think that that's the point of this verse six in Galatians six. We help those who teach us and mentor us and preach to us and shepherd us by helping to bear their burdens and to make their own life easier so their job is a joy.
0: I do think that to some extent, teaching the word is a burden.
1: Yes. Because it's a heavy responsibility of which there's none higher. Yeah. You know, Nikki, when I think about what we had to learn when we came out of Adventism and joined a Christian church, mm-hmm. you know, and I know that your experience and my experience are not identical, but we have that Adventist similarity. And I know the people that we're talking to, many of them share what we had. And part of our new learning was figuring out what it meant to be born again and what it meant to be adopted by the Father, and what it meant to be put into the body of Christ. Not all churches are the same, but God in His mercy and grace placed us here where we could be taught how to read and understand Scripture by Gary Enrig and his wife, Elizabeth. Now, I'm not saying they're the only ones who are able to do this. There are clearly other great teachers, but we were here in California, and this is where the Lord put us. And I think... God did an amazing thing when he put us where he knew we would learn a proper hermeneutic, Mm -hmm. where we would learn to respect every word of scripture, to understand that God makes no mistakes, and that we can trust the Bible because God's word cannot fail. And that's what we learned from sitting under the teaching of Gary and Elizabeth. It wasn't so much... You know, specific interpretations. What we learned was to love the word and to trust the word. And that's what shaped so much of what we do now. That's what shaped our even our desire to do this podcast. Yeah. Teaching the word is no small thing, it's the ground of everything, even if it's repetitive and even if it seems thankless sometimes. I just want to say publicly, thank you, Jesus, for giving us good teachers. And thank you, Gary and Elizabeth, for loving the word mm-hmm. and sharing
0: that love. You know, that makes me think of what another commentator said about this verse. His name's Don Anderson. He said, When you share good things, you share emails, you share cards, you say words of affirmation. Those things mean more than any dollar bill, any time, or any way. It's true. It is. Sharing good things is, it's almost like a contrast with the old covenant law and the new covenant. In the old covenant, there were specifics. You give 10% of your tithe. Yes. In the new covenant, you share all good things. There's your principle. That, That's a great way to interpret that. That flows into how you spend your money, for sure. But it also, it's about your heart. It's about loving the body of Christ and fulfilling
1: the, the commandment to love your neighbor. And let me just say right here, thanks again to all of you who do email us once in a while. Yes. <laughs> that is very
0: encouraging. You have no idea. Absolutely. Sometimes those emails come on discouraging days and it just puts a fire in you, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> Praise
1: Jesus. He's calling people to himself. Yeah. So then we move into the, my trigger verse, <laughs> seven. Seven. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. I think it's so interesting that when I learned that as an Adventist, as a memory verse, that even today when I read it, I almost don't see that God is not mocked because I never understood what that meant. And I remember as a little kid learning this verse and not really even knowing what that had to do with anything. God is not mocked.
0: Yeah, that's, that's like a throwaway because yeah. the real point is you better watch out. You better not pout. <laughs> you better not lie. I'm telling you why. Because
1: <laughs> God's watching. He's
0: coming to town and he's making a list. <laughs> <laughs> Nikki, will you talk about this verse, please? Well, I love this verse because it feels like a preview of God's justice because it is so hard when you finally see what Adventism has done for all all these years, and how many people's lives it has captured and put under bondage and slavery to a gospel that it does not save. It's upsetting. And that's one of the parts of the the stages of grief that we go through. Sometimes, Still often. feel it. <laughs> yeah, and still d- feel it. This isn't saying God doesn't want to be mocked. This is saying He isn't mocked. Yeah. He's sitting, well, okay, I don't know if He's sitting, but... God is not pouting because people are making fun of him. That's true. Such a good point. God is not mocked by our sin. Our sin is us sowing to the flesh. And these false teachers, they're not hurting God. That's true. They're the ones who are going to reap what they sow. God isn't mocked. God is on the throne. Wow. And these false teachers have come into Galatia. And they're deceiving these people. And it's in the grammar, in the Greek, that do not be deceived could imply stop being deceived. Yes. Stop being deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, this he will reap. And it reminds me of what he said in chapter three when he said, who has bewitched you? Did you receive the Holy Spirit through faith or through works? Are you now trying to be perfected by the flesh? That was a really bad summary of the text, but it was essentially his point. Right. Who's who's bewitched you? Right. You don't start by the Spirit and then perfect yourself in the flesh.
1: And that's the point of this section of Galatians. You know, I think about what it means to become a Christian after thinking we were and having a completely upside-down worldview. Those false teachers, some of whom were deceived— Many of whom were just plain dishonest, keeping their feet in Adventism because of their positions, the power, the control, and the connections, to be honest, that many of them had outside of the parishioners' understanding, connections with power and money in the world. We were taught a false gospel on purpose. And when we understood what the gospel was and we realized we had to leave, we distinctly lost. And we not only lost, but we left. We had to leave much of what we loved in order to have integrity and to be true to Jesus. And I think about... What we have gone through in coming to faith in Christ and looking back and realizing we had grown up in a religion that was false and that taught us a false Jesus, a false gospel, a false worldview, and I look at verse 7 and it looks completely different to me than it did as an Adventist child's Sabbath school memory verse. This has turned the meaning inside out. Can you believe it? In the Adventist context, this passage
0: is saying, do good. Yes. Do good. Behave. It's actually promoting sowing to the flesh. Yes. And it's actually saying something completely
1: opposite. Absolutely. This isn't saying God is not mocked. He knows you're stealing the cookie. That's not what it's saying. It's saying God is not mocked. He knows what they taught us, He knows where those doctrines came from, and He knows who inspired the doctrines in the founders. He knows. And those of us who learn, the truth, who Jesus is, that he's finished his work on our behalf and paid the price for our sin? Well, what we sow at the moment we learn the truth will determine what we reap. Will we be willing to turn our backs on the false doctrine and walk to Jesus? Or will we not be willing to? And if we do, what we reap will be a life of life, spiritual life, liberty in the Lord. It will be a life with new family, with new capabilities, with new joy, with eternal life as our guarantee, the Holy Spirit in us. That's what we reap. It's not a reward. It's the consequence for choosing to believe Jesus. So now we get to my
0: troublesome text. Verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, Paul has said a lot in this letter to the Galatians about following the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, we talked about last week. He says that when we walk by the Spirit, we will not give in to the desires of the flesh. This is kind of a theme in his letter. And now he says that we sow to the Spirit. Sowing is about the work we do. It's the seed we scatter. Uh-huh. Once we've responded to the Spirit and are born again, now we walk in the works created in advance for us to walk in, like Ephesians 2 teaches, and we do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our work is about sharing the good news, using the spiritual gifts that have been given to us, and by the hearing of the gospel, people will come to faith. Yes, And so part of what is reaped out of that sowing is, is eternal life for others, and also the fruit of eternal life for us. That fellowship, the koinonia, all of the promises of Scripture that come when we walk with the Lord.
1: You know, Paul talks about this idea in 1 Corinthians 3 as well. This was, again, a verse that I completely misunderstood as an Adventist, thinking the rewards were eternal life, when eternal life is a gift and not a reward. So here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3:10 to 15. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Now, I just want to mention, Paul is here asserting his own authority as an apostle. He's talking about his role in the Corinthian church. He laid the foundation, he taught them the gospel. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, upon this foundation. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day Will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So it's a different way of speaking of it, but it's the same idea, I believe, that Paul is meaning here in Galatians 6. Eight, as believers, we can sow to the flesh. We can do works of wood, hay, and straw, which will be burned up in the fires of God's evaluation one day. But if we sow to the Spirit, if we learn to trust Him, internally trust Him, allowing Him to show us in His Word how to live at any given moment. What God's will is for us, instead of plunging ahead and attempting to do things out of our own perception, our own fleshly desires and needs, but instead yielding to Him and doing what He puts in front of us, the work He prepared in advance for us to do. If we trust Him, we will receive rewards for that. And I love the way you put it, Nikki. A huge part of that reward, maybe The main part, we're just not told, is seeing the lives that will have eternal life because of our faithfulness to trust God with the work he gives us. That's why we're here. Mm -hmm. We're here to carry on the work that the apostles began when they laid the foundation. That's what Jesus told his disciples, go into all the world and preach. And he said he didn't only pray for them, but for all those who would believe through their words. Our job is to carry his words to the world in which he places us. And it's the only reason that we know the gospel at all, because the saints who came before us persevered, and we have scripture. When you say that, I think about the fact that long before Richard understood the gospel, he knew his first cousin once removed, Dale Ratzlaff. (laughs) And he also remembers in the 80s receiving from Dale the first version of his manuscript of his original book, Sabbath in Crisis. Dale had packaged some pages that comprised the essence of that book, and he had sent a box of those pages to Richard. And Richard, understanding that this relative had left Adventism, being embarrassed because he was a, quotes, black sheep, Richard threw that box of manuscript pages away. He says, boy, how I wish today I had that. But you know, it's what you say, people preached the word and the Lord wasn't done with Richard. But 10 or 12 years later, Richard was going to experience a personal encounter with Dale again, hear him teach on the new covenant, read his book, Sabbath in Christ, read his book, The Cultic Doctrine of Seventh-day Adventism, and the gospel would become clear to him. So, I just want to say... The Lord knows when it looks like your words are being rejected, God doesn't let his word return to him empty. And if you're preaching and teaching and speaking the truth to those you love, God will not waste it. Whether or not they believe at any given point is not your problem. It's not because of your delivery. Mm -hmm. The Lord opens hearts and minds. And I praise God that Dale persisted, that he was faithful to the Lord, that he was faithful to what he understood about the new covenant, and that he spoke that clearly when he was asked to speak, and that he allowed us to hear it. That's an important point you made,
0: that we're not responsible for the outcome. Our job is to be obedient to the Spirit and to do the work that He's given us to do. He is the one who opens eyes and opens ears and softens hearts and brings people to faith.
1: And if we're faithful to trust Jesus in the process, he'll bring us into his story and give us his work to do. Mm -hmm. And we'll have a part in this amazing thing of helping people come to life in the gospel. But it's God who does that work. It's God who gives the life. It's never up to us. And I
0: think what you said there informs our next verse. In verse nine, it says, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. That doing good, if we define that by the results, we're going to be very confused. Yeah. Because just like we saw in the book of Judges, the human nature is that everyone does what's right in their own eyes. And those of us who were raised to be people pleasers yes. can get really <laughs> lost in the idea of doing good. But scripture defines what this means. God gets to define what love looks like, and from what I can see in the Word, love means telling the truth. It means telling the truth in love. And glorifying God and bringing him and his gospel
1: to light for the blind as much as we can. You know, it's interesting to me to think about not growing weary and doing good. And it was kind of fascinating. I had not thought of that in the way that I got it out of uh, McGee's commentary on this verse. He pointed out that Abraham believed God, but didn't see the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises to him. Yet he didn't grow weary in doing good. Abraham, left Ur. He went to Egypt. He came back. He finally had Isaac. He was faithful to obey God and walk up to Mount Moriah and offer his son Isaac. But God did not require that he actually kill his son. And yet, he still didn't see the fulfillment of everything God had promised him. In fact, we learn in Hebrews 11 that Abraham obeyed. When he was called to go to a place he was to receive as an inheritance, but he went by faith. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God, we learn in verse 10 of Hebrews 11. It wasn't an immediate result. And Jochebed, think of Jochebed hiding Moses in the bulrushes when the Pharaoh said all the babies were to be killed. Think of Miriam going out there and protecting it, and then Jochebed surrendering her son to a pagan princess to raise. Isn't that a horrifying thought? Yeah, it is. And we have no evidence that when Moses grew up and became 80 years old and led Israel out of Egypt, that Jochebed was even still alive. We don't hear of her again. But she was faithful. She didn't grow weary. She did what God asked her to do. And the result is that God prepared Moses because of Jochebed's faithfulness and led Israel out of Egypt. And I just have to say one other thing here in Isaiah 55, 10-11. Isaiah says this For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. But it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So, Nikki, if we're faithful as the adopted born again children of God to do the work he gives us, to ask him to be faithful in keeping us understanding how to do it, we may not see what effect our faithfulness to obey the Lord has, but the Lord sees and he brings the harvest. And one day we'll know. But what we can know is that God is faithful. He will not leave us. And he's promised that his word will accomplish all that he sends it out to do.
0: I love that. So when we talk about doing good, we're talking about being faithful, trusting God, having faith in him, doing what he's called us to do. And that really informs the next verse again. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. When we think about it in the context of obeying God and remaining faithful and trusting His Word, we know that all people means all humans, (laughs) Yes, and we do good by them by being honest and speaking the truth in love and telling them about the Lord Jesus. And praying for them to know their need for Him, we bring the gospel to a broken world and we obey the Lord in this way. And then when it says, especially to those who are of the household of faith, it takes me back to what He's just said to us, bear one another's burdens. Right. We walk with each other in obedience to the Lord,
1: loving the world and loving God and loving the household of faith. That is so true. And sometimes it's hard to know exactly how that is supposed to look. I realize that on the outside, something can look like the same activity, but on the inside, it can be a completely different one. For example, in the body of Christ, we may encounter people with whom we have to have boundaries. And it doesn't mean that we're not dealing with other fellow believers, but we are all flawed. We all bear our scars. And sometimes we bump into other believers who are still not necessarily functioning in a completely trusting way in the areas where they've been victimized or hurt in the past. And sometimes we have to have boundaries that protect us with other believers. Now, we can have a boundary that comes from our flesh where we're going, I don't have to deal with this. I don't have to put up with this. I'm just not going to put myself in their presence. And a boundary that comes from the flesh that's driven by self-protection can actually become divisive inside the body, even if we never speak of it. We can give off self protective attitude. We can give off things we don't even know we're giving off. But if the boundary comes from trusting God and saying, Lord, I need you to take care of me here, and you please take care of them, please show them what they need to know, and please show me what's true, the Lord Himself can create. The protective boundary that we may need in order not to be consumed by somebody else's demands that are maybe of the flesh. But the attitude is different. Having the attitude where we are internally submitting to the Lord instead of internally punishing the other person has a completely different effect and doesn't create divisiveness in the body. We don't give off those nonverbal things to other people that say, I don't like that person. Because how can I not like a brother or a sister with whom I live in the body that the Lord put me? He is the one who determines who shares my life and my space and my local church body. He is the one who does that. And I have to trust him. I guess when I read this verse, Nikki, what I realize is the Lord is the one we have to learn to trust, and doing good to one another and not losing heart in doing good, means if I trust the Lord, He will show me in His Word and show me by making me understand the truth of who I am, who He is, and who they are in Him, how to proceed without being harmful. That's really well said. So, if you haven't experienced that trusting God, knowing that He has Sent his son to pay for your sin, that he has broken the curse of sin in your life, that he has broken the curse of death, that is our natural inheritance as sons and daughters of Adam. If you haven't experienced that, if you don't know that you are a part of the body of Christ, adopted by the Father, born again of the Spirit, come to the foot of the cross right now and see Jesus, who took your sin in his body on the cross. And died to pay for everything you have ever done, including your natural spiritual death with which you were born. Let him know you recognize that you have sinned against him and that you need a savior. And trust him, trust him, knowing that he has paid for everything you've ever done, and that he has broken the curse of death, and that he has promised to give you new life when you believe. Your life will never be the same. And suddenly, these old proof texts and Bible verses from Sabbath school will have new meaning and you will understand what it means to be able to trust the Lord as you live in the body of Christ. If you have questions or comments for us, please write to us at
0: formeradventist at gmail.com. Don't forget to visit proclamationmagazine.com to see all the resources there for those who are questioning or leaving Adventism or for Christians who want to know more about what Seventh-day Adventism is. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and please leave a review as it helps expand our reach. And join us next week as we conclude our walk through Paul's letter to the Galatians. We'll see you then.